Thank you once more for listening to Clear Bible. We are in the book of 2 John. This is part two on the book of 2 John. And I will go ahead and read the whole book, all 13 verses for you. But before I do, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we do invite you once more to speak to us through this book. Speak to us through this often overlooked letter. Let us hear your voice. Let us receive what you are saying and be a part of what you are doing through your word as we listen right now. We, we not only invite you to be a part of it, we, we say you have to be a part of this. Without you, uh, there's no point in me talking. There's no point in anyone listening. So please come and do your work in us and through us right now and through your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Second John, the elder to the elect lady and her children, I love all of you in truth, and not only I, but also all who have come to know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. So now I urge you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command you've, as you've heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we've worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't say welcome to him. For the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't, have, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you soon and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. All right, so last week we talked about John's emphasis on the truth and the importance of being in truth. And I want to talk about that a little bit more this week uh, and next week we'll start talking about his emphasis on love. The importance of truth and the seriousness of John's command to not even welcome someone who doesn't believe and live according to Christ's teaching, that calls for more consideration. I think we need to spend a little more time on that. We talked about it last time. Anyone who calls themselves a Christian but does not believe and live according to the truth should not even be welcome into our church. John lays it out in verses 7 and 11 that I just read. You know, there are many deceivers, those who don't confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. That, they represent the message of the Antichrist. If you don't remain in Christ's teaching, and if you go beyond Christ's teaching, you don't have God. If you remain in Christ's teaching, you do have the Father and the Son. And if someone doesn't bring Christ's teaching and doesn't remain in it, don't even welcome him into your church. Now, this is really important, and this is why I want to dwell on it 
a little bit more because I, I, I think there are many Christians today, far too many Christians today, particularly in Western culture, have been influenced by the culture and, and were almost terrified of coming across as narrow-minded or bigoted. And so you have all these many Christians and churches who they seem to be afraid of hurting the feelings of those who don't believe the same as Christians are supposed to believe or, or don't live the same way that Christians live. They seem almost afraid of, of hurting the feelings of those who are different. And I want to call that group of Christians who are, you know, kind of afraid of being narrow-minded or bigoted, I want to call them wishy-washy Christians. They typically minimize the importance of truth. And I think John's second letter here is, is a real corrective to them. It's saying, look, don't even welcome somebody who says they're a Christian and doesn't agree with the truth. A wishy-washy Christian, on the other hand, might say, well, look, I believe God's a God of love. Everyone is welcome. Come on here. Just join our community. Just be a part of us. You don't have to change. You don't have to be different. You know, someone asks them about hell. They might say, oh, I, I, I believe God is a God of love. And so, you know, we can't put limits on love. Love wins. That's actually a, a, a title of a book by, I think that was the, the book's title, but it's certainly the theme by Rob Bell, basically saying there's no such thing as hell. That's a wishy-washy Christian. Uh, you know, a wishy-washy Christian might sort of say, hey, look, I know the Bible says all those things, but God is, it's all about love. Let's not talk about the sin thing. Let's talk about the love thing. And, uh, you know, let's not talk about the fact that Jesus says, die to yourself daily. Take up your cross. Follow me. Anyone who loves father or mother or anybody or anything more than me is not worthy of me. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about, you know, the fact that Christians should pray or should really live and be a part of a Christian community or, or that Christians should really follow Jesus or live according to the moral standards of the Bible. We, we, they would say, well, we just welcome everybody. We don't judge you because you have a different opinion about Jesus or how to be close to God. Well, listen to what Jesus says. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross, die to himself, and follow me. Now, I think clearly these words in 2 John are aimed at wishy-washy Christians. Do not welcome someone who claims to be a Christian and cannot hold the line on these important things. And so, though there are many Christians and churches seem afraid to admit this, the truth is, Jesus calls us to hard choices. And when we don't insist upon the truth in our churches, we obscure that and we're in danger of not remaining in the teachings of Jesus. But there's another side to this too, and, and it goes like this, where do we draw the line? Okay, we, how can we insist on the truth? How can we say we've, we've got to have truth and yet at the same time basically not become a cult? You know, where we're so, uh, so afraid of anything that, you know, might be different that we can't welcome anybody and, and lead them on the road of discipleship or that we can't hear another point of view other than our own or, or can't consider the possibility that our particular interpretation of the Bible could be wrong. How do, we, how do we find that line? Because there are many other Christians who have the opposite problem to the wishy-washy Christians. I would call these people divisive Christians. 
Divisive Christians can write 10 blog pages on why the worship song 10,000 Reasons will lead everybody to hell. You know what I'm talking about? You've probably seen some of these posts on social media, you know, about, you know, just hours of time spent tearing down a particular song or a particular movement or, or some fine line of theology that, you know, that doesn't match with their own. And divisive Christians seem determined to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You got to throw out the whole thing. We can't make a distinction here. And so you might have a movement that is leading people to the Lord and helping thousands of people to become true and better disciples of Jesus. And this movement also involves speaking in tongues. And the divisive Christians, say a particular group of them, don't agree that speaking in tongues is valid anymore. And so they say the whole movement is of the devil. That's throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And, and divisive Christians seem to be after this pure, untainted theology. But the truth is, they can't even agree what pure and tainted theology is. At their worst, divisive Christians become almost cult-like. And they believe that no one but themselves have a true understanding of Jesus' teaching. And so they, they take these words of John to the extreme. And these people are very problematic and they impose all sorts of rules and regulations on others that they have no right to impose. So, we're left with this dilemma. How can we apply John's commands to remain in the truth of Jesus and teaching, and the truth of Jesus and his teaching, without becoming either a wishy-washy Christian or a divisive Christian? How do, we, how do we follow this command and say, we're not even going to welcome somebody who doesn't agree with the truth about Jesus and yet not become a divisive Christian? Or how do we say we're not going to be divisive and yet not become a wishy-washy Christian? There's no cut and dried easy way, unfortunately. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. But I, I have thought about this for quite some time, actually. And, uh, and I think there are some principles that can be very helpful to us. Now, to wishy-washy Christians, I think these principles will be offensive. They will appear bigoted and narrow-minded. And I think to divisive Christians, these principles will appear far too liberal and, and open-handed and, and not good enough. And to me, I think that's a good place to be. If, if divisive Christians think I'm, I'm too liberal and, and wishy-washy Christians think I'm too conservative, I, I think that's probably a good place to be. Now, as I go through what I'm about to share with you, I realize we're going to step away a little bit from the text of 2 John. This is, this is kind of, I'm, I'm taking this my own direction, but I think it is, it is a result of what we're reading here in 2 John. This call, really, this call John has to divide over the truth. And I think we do need to consider, well, how do we actually do that? How do we make that work for us? So... Let's, let's take a look at that. We need, I, I think what I share too is definitely relevant about John's concerns about truth and love. I, I, I think this, this will be helpful to us. The New Testament does contain many, many commands that we should insist upon sound doctrine and biblical teaching. It tells Christian leaders to contend for the faith. It tells Christian leaders to rebuke and to teach those who are wrong. There are all kinds of verses about this. The sermon is going to be a little bit long already, so I'm not going to share them all. But here's one, and it's pretty representative of this sort of thing. It's from 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. 
I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether it is convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Lots of passages like that in the New Testament. Persist in the message, correct people, rebuke people, insist upon sound doctrine. Don't be led astray and don't allow these people who come in who, who gather people to say what they want them to say. At the same time, there are many other passages in the New Testament that warn Christians not to get involved in frivolous disputes. I'll read you two. This one is from 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 26. But reject, actually it's 22 through 26. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they breed quarrels. The Lord's slave must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him to do their will. So here, Paul is writing to Timothy, look, be gentle as you do this. Be humble. Don't get involved in something frivolous. And, and maybe by your gentleness and by staying out of things that you don't need to get into, people will be returned to the truth. <clears throat> and then from 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 16. Remind them of these things, charging them before God not to fight about words. This is in no way profitable and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. But avoid irreverent, empty speech, for this will produce an even greater measure of godliness. So you have these two things in the scripture. You've got to correct. You've got to rebuke. You've got to stand firm on the truth. As John says, you, you can't even associate with someone who calls himself a Christian and rejects these things. And yet, <clears throat> Paul says to Timothy, don't get involved in foolish, frivolous disputes. Don't get involved in arguments over words and fine points of, of theology. So how do we do this? Where do we draw the line? How do we know what we need to fight about, what we need to stand up for and contend for, and what we reject? Other people who call themselves Christians, on what basis do we reject them? And then on the other hand, where, where's the other line where we say, we can welcome these people even though they disagree with us? And where we can say, these differences don't have to divide us. I think it helps for us to think about Christian truth in terms of four distinct levels. Now, this is my own thing. I, I didn't get this from anywhere. This is my own sort of creation, but I think it's helpful. And I just stay with me. It, it may feel a little bit dry at first, but I want you to stay with me. Hang in there because I think it's important. The first level I would call the foundational level of Christian truth. We must insist upon agreement 
when it concerns foundational level issues, like when the self-revelation of God is at stake. The basis of our faith is God revealing himself to human beings. The universe exists for the glory of God. Anything that makes God less than God, anything that lifts up something higher than God, that makes something other than God and his glory a higher priority, anything like that is worth fighting about. Another foundational level truth or is anything concerning the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anything that makes Jesus less than Lord, less than Messiah, less than Savior, less than God, less than man. Anything that does that is worth fighting about. And this is what John is saying in 2 John verse 7, where, where he writes to them, he says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So anything that attacks who Jesus is, the, the, the basic revelation that we have of who Jesus is, that is worth fighting about. When the integrity of the Bible is at stake, this is also a foundational level truth. We know and believe that, uh, sorry, I had one more in here. Number three would be when, when the gospel is at stake, the truth about the gospel, anything that claims that we can be saved without Jesus' death and resurrection, anything that claims we can be saved without repentance and gracious obedience, these things are worth fighting about. And then also a foundational level truth is when the integrity of the Bible is at stake. We know and believe in who God is and his self-revelation and who Jesus is and the revelation of Jesus. We know about the gospel, all of this from the Bible. So anything that generally undermines the truth of the Bible or the reliability of the Bible, therefore, for undermines all foundational level truth. Now listen, I want to make this very clear. I don't mean it undermines your particular interpretation of a Bible passage. I'm talking about the Bible as a whole. It undermines the idea that the Bible is the true and reliable Word of God. Anything that undermines that, we need to fight about. Particular interpretations of specific passages, that's a different thing. But anything that undermines the reliability of the Bible, the view of the Bible as God's Word, those things we need to fight about. There's a second level of important Christian beliefs. I believe these things are also necessary to agree about among true Christians. Uh, these second level truths may not be entirely central to the faith, but if we can't agree on the second level truths, then the Christian faith basically becomes meaningless because it also undermines the Bible. I call this second level truth doctrinal level truth. Doctrine just means teaching. And so when John says you need to hold to the teachings of Christ, the teachings about Christ, it's doctrine. We need to hold to doctrinal level truth. And let me give you an example of that. That would be, say, the Bible's teaching on sexual morality. We are not saved by obeying the Bible's teaching on sexual morality. We don't go to heaven because we obey the Bible's teaching on sexual morality. The Bible's teaching on sexual morality is not about God's self-revelation. It's not about Jesus Christ. It's not about the it is a little bit about the reliability of Scripture, and that's, that's where it becomes so important. But it is an important truth. It is a doctrinal level truth. The Bible's teaching on sexuality is so clear and so straightforward that if we reject it, we are basically rejecting the Bible as a source of spiritual truth. 
And if we do that, we end up having no basis to believe what the Bible says about God or Jesus or salvation or sin. All the moral teachings of the Bible, not just the ones about sexuality, fall into this level of doctrinal truth. So these are things, it's not central to the gospel, but if we can't agree on these things, then, then our whole basis for believing anything is undermined. And so this is stuff that we need to fight about. And this is why the big fight about human sexuality in the church, and this is where the fight is today among Christians. No sexual morality and gender and all that stuff, that is not central to the gospel. And yet if we reject it, basically we undermine the Bible's teaching on everything. So we have to insist upon it. Now let me make sure that we have this clear. I don't mean that we go around and we condemn anybody who fails to live according to biblical morality. I don't mean that we demand that Christians be perfect and we won't associate with other Christians unless they are morally perfect. But what we do need to say is we agree that these teachings of the Bible, even though they're not central to the gospel, these are things that the Bible clearly says. And because the Bible says them, <clears throat> we agree that what the Bible says about these things are true and are right and are good. In other words, the words of the Bible judge our behavior and our belief in these matters. So if someone rejects, not just if someone, you know, someone might have sex outside of marriage, and that is a sin. That sin doesn't disqualify you from salvation. That sin doesn't mean that you can't be part of the Christian church. But what would mean that you can't be part of the Christian church is if you say that's not a sin. Because then you're rejecting what the Bible says. And if you're rejecting what the Bible says about that sin, why don't you reject what it says about anything? You see where I'm going with this? These are things, it's not about behavior. It's not about performance. It's about biblical truth. If somebody fails in morality, then there's this whole thing that Jesus did called the gospel, where he died to forgive us for that sin. He made that sin right with God. So we can survive moral failure, but what we can't survive is disagreement about what is truly right and good. You with me there? So these doctrinal level truths are very important as well. And if anyone disagrees about the doctrinal level truth, they can't be a Christian. Again, we're not talking about if anyone fails to live up to it. We're talking about if anyone says, no, I don't agree with it. I don't agree that that's a sin. Okay. Now, obviously we're going to try as we walk with Jesus not to sin. And that's the goal. But we've already talked about that a little bit last week. Jesus is the one who died for our sins. My dear children, says John, I write this so you do not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins, the atonement for our sins, who intercedes with the Father for, on our behalf. So that's doctrinal level truth. We have to agree on that. One thing that is helpful when it comes to doctrinal level truth is that we have 2,000 years of Christian history to help us. What I mean is the core of Christian belief has been tested by 20 centuries of disagreements and discussion. And so in one way you might say doctrinal truth includes those things which we call orthodox Christianity. 
These are beliefs that all Christians have agreed upon throughout history. And so if somebody comes along and says, well, you know, this, we don't think this is a sin or, or we think this is, you know, not the way to interpret the Bible about this particular thing anymore. We can look back at 20 centuries of Christian history and say, you know what? Orthodox Christians, the core of Christianity has rejected that idea. Orthodox Christianity has always believed or agreed upon this as doctrinal level truth. And so that's tremendously helpful as we go through these stages to refer back to what I call Orthodox Christianity, those 20 centuries of Christian history where some of these disputes and ideas and, and arguments have been worked out and, and where Christianity has consistently come down in the same place for 20 centuries. There's another level of Christian belief. This is the third level. <clears throat> and at this third level, we can disagree and yet still accept each other as Christians, and yet the disagreement is serious. So I call this third level of truth contention level truth. Because at this level, we do need to contend for the truth. We do need to contend for, to make arguments for a true understanding of the Bible. But it's different from foundational level truth and from doctrinal level truth because when there's a dispute at this contention level, it does not mean that one group, that the group on one side are true Christians and the other group are not true Christians. We're all Christians, but one group are Christians who believe something in error. Now, it's not an error that disqualifies them from being Christians. But it's an error where we do need to contend for the truth and say, this is wrong. You're still a Christian, but we need to get us all on board and, and contend with each other for what the Bible really teaches about these things. An example of contention-level truth is what I would call the prosperity gospel. You know, the prosperity gospel is all about, well, if you follow God and you do the right things in this life, God will reward you in this life. And if you're not being rewarded, it's because you're not following God properly. But otherwise, if you follow God, He's going to do good things for you in this life. He has to do good things for you in this life if you just do the right things. I call that the prosperity gospel. Now, I think it's wrong. It focuses, it minimizes the eternal hope we have, the hope of eternal life with Jesus. It tends to reduce God to some sort of machine that we manipulate in order to get what we want. I think the teaching is wrong. I think it is dangerous and it tends to lead people farther away from Jesus. It tends to, to not make people true and better disciples of Jesus. Even so, I am sure that almost all of those with prosperity gospel beliefs are still real Christians. Those prosperity gospel people do agree with Orthodox Christianity about foundational level truths. Who is God? Who is Jesus? The Bible is true, all those foundational level truths. They, they agree about doctrinal level truths, about biblical morality, about the other clear teachings of the Bible. So even though they're in error with regard to the prosperity gospel, their emphasis is wrong, they're interpreting parts of the Bible wrongly, at the things that really matter, the foundational level and the doctrinal level, they are in agreement, and that means they are fellow Christians. So we should not welcome their teachings, but we still need to welcome personally those people as followers of Jesus. That's contention level truth. There's a fourth level. 
And these, the fourth level, are things that Christians have disagreed about for centuries, maybe even for as long as Christianity has been in existence. And I call this fourth level theological level truth because the main people who get worked up about it are professional theologians. I know that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it, 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 it helps us to understand what I'm talking about. We, it is not necessary that we agree on all theological level truth in order for us to have good Christian fellowship. Now, this is different from contention level truth in that it does not tend to lead people into error. Let me, let me back up and just give you an example so it makes it more clear. Theological level truth, two examples, prime examples of theological level truth would be the Christian views of baptism and communion baptism and communion for centuries and and really in terms of baptism for probably 18 centuries maybe even 19 centuries there has been disagreement about these things there have been some people that say uh, baptism should take place should take place in infancy or at least it's legitimate to baptize infants and then other people say it's not legitimate to baptize infants uh, they need to be uh, adults who confess faith in Jesus Christ for there's been disagreement about that for, you know, 18, 19 centuries. There's been disagreement about what happens in the Lord's Supper for almost as long. Is it really Jesus' physical body and blood? Is it not really Jesus' physical body and blood? Is it just symbolic or is there some spiritual presence involved or is there a physical presence involved? Good Christians have disagreed about these things for almost the entire history of Christianity. And people who believe in infant baptism have not destroyed the Christian faith, have been good disciples, have walked with Jesus, have been Orthodox Christians. And people who believe only in what we call adult baptism, they have been good Christians. They've not destroyed the Christian faith. They have walked with Jesus and become great disciples. Same is true with uh, communion and the differing views. So you see what I'm getting at here? There's disagreement, but I would call it two legitimate views, two or more legitimate views. And so, so even though, so the difference between that and contention level, the level before this, is that I think maybe there's a possibility that everyone's right in ways that we can't quite grasp, or even that everyone's wrong in ways that we can't quite, quite grasp. In other words, I think we can say there's a legitimate different point of view and, and I don't have to insist that my brother or sister is wrong about this. Theological level truth should not be allowed to cause deep divisions in Christians. If our dispute with a fellow Christian is theological level, it's about baptism or about communion or, or about, you know, something like that, we, we welcome you as fellow Christian. We, we have no problem fellowshipping. That should not be a cause for divisions. At the fifth level... We find things that definitely should never be an issue between true Jesus followers. And I call this the liberty level of truth because the Bible clearly allows Christians to make individual decisions about a number of different things. In other words, we have liberty to make our own choices about all kinds of different things while remaining good Christians. Liberty level truth includes things like worship styles. You have liberty to worship the Lord liturgically. You have liberty to worship Him in contemporary style. It's not commanded or forbidden in Scripture to do it one way or the other. 
we have liberty to observe special festivals and to you know, maybe somebody wants like we do we love doing the passover we have liberty to do the passover you have liberty to not do the passover special ceremonies that sorts of things uh, special, you know, the way we do weddings or funerals or, or, or doing house blessings or not doing house blessings, all that, there's, there's liberty there. Uh, they sh these things shouldn't be issues that divide us. We shouldn't try to impose them on each other. We have liberty in what we eat and in where we eat and when we eat, how we eat it. There's liberty in whether Christians choose to view movies, and if they do, which movies. There's liberty in what sorts of music we listen to. There's liberty in whether or not we consume alcohol, as long as we're not talking about getting drunk here. There's liberty in whether Christians can go out dancing or, or play cards or in a huge number of individual decisions which we exercise our best judgment as we live our lives of faith in Jesus Christ. Liberty level should never be a cause for disagreement. There's an old saying, dates back to uh, <clears throat> uh, the, I think maybe 100, 150 years after the Reformation. And it goes like this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. That's a good quick way to summarize what we're learning here. In essentials, unity. Doctrinal level, foundational level truth. We have to have unity. Those are essential. Uh, and in contention level, I don't think we have unity there yet. We, we, we can welcome them as fellow Christians, but we still need to contend. And then everything else in the theological level and in, in the liberty level, liberty. And in all things, love. Approach all things with love. And we're going to start talking about that next week. Let the Holy Spirit lead you as you continue to meditate on these things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your spirit and your presence here. Continue to, uh, to let this message sink in for us and lead us closer to you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.